Hello, and welcome to Cosmic Dream Sanctuary. I am Daniel Rekshan, and I am about to read to you an illustrated guide to practical dreaming. This is a book I wrote in 2009, and it contains illustrations I have from dream or dreamlike experiences. This is an illustrated book, so if you are tuning in on a video format, you are able to see it. <clears throat> but if you're tuning in on a, an audio format, I will be describing the imagery, and so you can have a full experience in that way. Um, at any time and point, you're invited to go to the website, cosmicdreamsanctuary.org slash message to download the book and to read it at your own time and in your own leisure. Um, I invite you to... Um, listen to this book, uh, listen to my voice as a sort of way of relaxation or even meditation, not necessarily as a conceptual communication. So you are allowed to ebb and flow in your attention to this matter. You are allowed to be present with your body and your own imagination as I read. That is totally welcome. I do not expect you to follow along completely conceptually. This is not school. This is not philosophy class. This is simply a time to come together to listen to some of these words and communications and to ultimately invite ourselves into a deeper practice of dreaming. This is about practical dreaming. So this is using dreams and dreamlike experiences for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. So I would invite you to apply some of these practices in your life to achieve the healing insight and transformation that dreams offer to us every night. <clears throat> Without further ado, an illustrated guide to practical dreaming. Here's an image. It is one of three images of the same triptych oil painting series. We ha are presented with an image of uh, Christ, crucified Christ in uh, purple robes. Above him in the clouds uh, is a satyr or a uh, goat humanoid uh, Satan type devil figure. And next to the Christ is uh, a pit of uh, flame. is sort of like a well, but flames are coming up and out of it. The sky is a dark blue. The ground is a yellow, and there are red uh, mountains in the distance. There is writing throughout the entire painting. And the writing says, I dreamed a dream. The abomination murders innocence throwing its flesh in the pit of hell. So we see here that the devil and the clouds have uh, kind of marionette, puppet-like um, <clears throat> strings attached to the Christ figure, and the Christ figure actually holds a cat of nine tails. And the next image uh, of the triptych, which is uh, a square image as opposed to the rectangular image of the first panel, it says, to kill the evil, the action must be iterated. Beware. On its way to the void, the flesh of the Christ, the flesh of the Christ man will hang on the earth. Can you sever his connection? And so the image here, there's Christ in his purple robes, 
and he is being pulled into that fiery pit, this well-type experience, uh, out of which flames and smoke is coming, um, by uh, an image of a man who is wearing blue pants and a yellow shirt and who is actually holding that cat of nine tails and pulling Christ in through his flesh. This is an image of a being that somewhat looked like me back in 2009. The final panel, it says, Look what the fires reveal. Hear her sweet voice. Praise the Lord, the sweet voice of Sophia. She tells me that the primordial duality is merely the wearing of a costume in a nativity before the altar of the Lord. And so out of the fiery fiery pit, this well, is a beautiful image of uh, Sophia, who's a female form, sort of raising up and out of the flame. She has no concern that she is in the flame. And at her foot, there is uh, kind of like a shedding of a cloak of the, of, of the Christ, of the purple robe. And so... Um, The title of this triptych is called Self-Portrait as the Fool. Understanding the nature of dreaming is as elusive and challenging as transporting one's daily consciousness and volition into that world. Dreams pose innumerable epistemological challenges. They are an entirely subjective experience. Even when the deep archetypes are encountered, Their manifestation is always through individual imagery. Dreams are always interpreted in the daytime consciousness, while the ego constructs and interprets the memory of the dream. Within the dream itself, our daytime logic and reasoning or expectations do not hold. The greatest challenge is to determine whether or not a dream occurrence has actual or real significance beyond the discharge of neurons or the satiations of unfulfilled and individual desires. Some may say that interpretation is the greatest challenge, that we must always strive for the, from the dream appearances to our psychological underpinnings or to a paranormal message. How do we discover the meaning of a dream? How do we determine if our interpretation is the correct one? These questions are valid and must be asked, but I say that the question of a dream's external duration is bleeding into the world outside of my own mind. This question is of utmost importance. I say that we must strive through any interpretation and encounter the beyond. Our challenge now questions the nature of that deep experience. For example, I have dreamed that I met a future lover and that we have communicated our histories and presence to one another. I have seen her eyes and I feel as if I could recognize them. Did I just imagine this scenario to satisfy my desires or will I actually recognize those eyes? It is so strange that a belief in the everyday power of dreams is absent from culture. Dreams are something funny that happens to us at night. At best, they are granted to provide us with a safe and insulated experience of our pathologies and desires. Significant dreams are either the act of prophecy or an individual message from God, and as such are relegated out of common culture and away from the individual's practical abilities. In the last decade, I have heard much about lucid dreaming. 
In our common culture, it is presented merely as a means of controlling the dreams, at worst to give the volition free reign of the illusory world, and at best to work out or confront problems that are too censored to be encountered by the daytime ego. The nature of the dream world is not a subject of serious exploration. Of course, there is authentic discourse and publications regarding these matters. I merely point out that true dreaming, exploration, and work remain esoteric insofar that they are taboo in polite conversation and definitions need to be established in any conversation. I find all this to be strange because dreams have guided the course of history as long as it is written. Also, much of our lives are spent in this state. And so now I'm turning back to the page where an image is presented. This is a watercolor and graphite image. Uh, it is called The Divine Androgyny Splits into the Sexes as the Book of Life is Opened, or when humans began to seek secrets in the Akashic records. The center of this image has a dark circle out of which many figures are emerging, the first of which is an angel with uh, rainbow-colored wings and looking not at us but away from us. From, from that, uh, there is a, uh, a book that is opened, a blue book, and from each side of those books... Um, the male and female forms of human forms come out. Um, <clears throat> the male form to the right, and he is looking towards a red red ground with yellow pyramids and clouds in the sky. There are, it's a purple sky with yellow stars. And on the left hand is uh, a verdant forest with flowers that have faces. And there's a stream next to... Um, next to the people who are standing on this desert side, the woman is stepping into a stream. Next to her foot is a mirror with fish coming out of it. And uh, the man is stepping onto a path that leads up to the pyramids. The pyramids are superimposed with a book he is holding that is reminiscent of that um, book of life. And in the bottom right, uh, confronting the Man is a sphinx that holds a sword and is looking up and at him. <clears throat> I would expect or at least desire that culture would first grant that any individual may experience a world through his dreams that is both deeper and, than the physical world and the world that is demarcated by the ego and by subconscious desire. Second, that this world has a strong and practical ties to the physical and to the societal. Finally, that this world is as worthy of exploration as the physical. There should be no question whatsoever that it is the birthright of any individual to access this world just as the physical is accessed. It is wrong to give to religion and to insanity this marvelous aspect of experience. Fortunately, it is a right that can never be taken away, only ignored. I believe that the question of reality is of greatest importance when one considers all the phenomena that are related to dreaming. Meditative states, intuition, creative acts, self-reflection, all are species of the dreaming genius. These examples and their practices suffer when the reality of the dream world is 
not questioned. When dreaming suffers, the unity of individuals suffer. Since dreaming is necessary is necessarily a subjective matter, I must present my own experiences in order to discuss this question, and I ask the reader to consider their own experiences alongside mine. I have dreamed dreams before. I have been to other worlds, seen the foundations of space and time, discussed matters with luminous beings, been initiated into orders, and received knowledge. All these things occurred before I questioned the reality of dreaming. The most I could say is that the dreams felt real. I did, however, notice a commonality between such dreams as listed that distinguish themselves from the mundane sort of dreams. Generally, the flavor of consciousness was richer, the sense of history within the dream had greater weight, and they had less reference to the cares of the previous day. Beyond these relative qualifiers, the end of the dreams generally was abrupt. When the dream action concluded, I would pop back into the locale behind my eyes from which I could resume daily consciousness without the groggy transition. <laughs> Although these dreams guided my thoughts, choices, and desires, I consciously regarded them as flukes. I did not know what to think of them, nor did I have time to, work, to do the work of figuring it out. After graduating college, I found... I had quite enough time. I ran into some accounts of Robert Monroe, who had out-of-body experiences through a dreamlike or meditative state. He sought to validate his experiences by scientifically inducing and studying them in other people. So going back to the image, the image here associated with this text, um, the title of this image, it is an oil painting. It says, Marduk, patron deity of the landscape painters. The central figure here is a four-step pyramid. It looks rather like a ziggurat. Um, the sky is purple. The, the ground is yellow. There is a rectilinear grid of pathways leading to the ziggurat. There are graves, actually, um, <clears throat> in, the, um, in the foreground and uh, green figures sort of standing in this inversion yoga posture actually looking like something like in the form of a rainbow um, in the right top right of the the image there is a deep blue purple sea on which there is a boat um, and there is a sun but the sun is of this kind of five petaled star with several layers within it um, two other features the, there is this dragon-type um, dog-like form where uh, the it is uh, red-bodied, sort of look, looking like as if it has feathers with um, eagle-like talons. The head is blue with uh, red flame-type experiences coming off of it, and there is a sword actually standing out like a horn or a unicorn. The final feature of this image that I want to look at is the um, grave um, that sets the context and perspective of the viewer of this painting as one who has just emerged out of this grave. There is a portal. There is um, a, It is a par parabola of within. Is, there's steps going down to this doorway, and there is the sun and moon ornamenting this portal. 
This encounter was the impetuous of my own exploration. There were accounts of dream experiences within this physical world and within exotic realms of consciousness. His data and its objective validity with the spiritual and exotic worlds or systems implied were too enticing and too reputable to ignore. His data is merely a reiteration of many religious and spiritual systems. More than the physical exists and sentient beings exist at all levels. Finally, the individual is more than the spatial-temporal body-mind complex. Such beliefs recur in our myths, philosophies, and religions. It is nothing new. What is new, however, is the claim that these are scientifically observable phenomena, granting their subjective, albeit universal, nature, that are possible experiences of any individual outside of or independent of belief systems and religious doctrines. The claim is that the ability to experience more than the physical, interact with non-physical consciousnesses, and to find identity outside of this time and space are abilities granted to all individuals because it is part of our evolutionary heritage. Therefore, some type of cultural conditioning prevents our daily practice or acceptance of these abilities. If the claim is true, then I may activate the abilities just like anyone else. The longer I thought about it, the more I felt it was my responsibility to explore the dream world because it is a vast venue for personal and social growth. In order to begin my exploration, I adopted several practices and premises. I adopted a practice, a daily practice of meditation. I practiced a sitting meditation every day. At least three times a week, I practiced a moving yoga and a laying meditation afterwards. Occasionally, I would just practice the lying meditation, use binaural beats, or listen to a recorded guided meditation. The premises are not as simply stated as the practices. However, they are simple and fall out of the endeavor itself. First, emergent phenomena and primal experience are logically prior to any knowledge, hence expectation of phenomenon. The mind has a tendency to filter experiences based on its expectation and memory of experience. This is a natural process designed for our survival. Meditation can be, pra- can be a practice of releasing those expectations and a time in which it is safe to experience without them. Here is an image called Planting the Garden. It is reminiscent of a tarot card. Um, the foreground, the, the, the land on which the figures stand is this orange-yellow with flowers, white flowers coming up. There are two figures. They seem almost childlike, uh, a girl figure at uh, the left um, with a red robe over a blue dress, and then there is a male figure to the right with a yellow tunic and blue pants. They appear to have, uh, the man appears to have dug a hole and the woman is pouring water. There is water in the background, which separates the land from an image of purple mountains. And there is a tower to the left. The tower to the left has three windows on it. It uh, And the there is a tree to the right, which has four red fruits. There's a bank of clouds above the purple mountains, and an angel is standing up and out of it. It is an androgynous figure wearing a purple-blue robe with red wings and curly 
mid-length um, yellow blonde hair, and the third eye is wide open. The posture with the arms is one of um, triangular kind of hands resting on hips or behind the back of this angel. That is planting the garden. Second, the individual consciousness is necessarily open and not isolated to the body, albeit connected to it. The ego tends to present itself as an insulated being within the five senses. Our daily consciousness tends to identify itself with the ego. Once again, it is generally for our physical advantage. If the energetic aspects of the cosmos are realms of experience, then the agent of our experience is our very consciousness acting or communing through conduits beyond sense. Therefore, if one is to have a non-physical experience, the consciousness must not be isolated by the senses. Once these practices and premises were in place, I began to dream with increasing frequency. Perhaps dreaming is my particular and personal response to these practices and that another would respond in a different manner. However, I suspect that dreaming is the most typical arena of spiritual exploration because it is a natural state in with in which both the influence of sensation and expectation over experience of consciousness are minimized. I suspect that the practices and premises strengthen my energetic intention, which in turn was the activation of the dreaming. In fact, these practices and premises provided me with the first repeatable practical experience of energetic intention. I believe that energetic intention is a faculty common to everyone. It is like volition, action, and motivation summed up in a single spiritual occurrence. The desire exists in or expresses directly through the action. Both in turn are subservient to the motivation. In fact, the desire and action occurrence is simply a particular nuance of a more general motivation. A physical example of this is in love and lovemaking. Another is the act of meditation itself. Finally, it occurs anytime one does something for the first time. Intention must be practiced because our daily mode of operation does not involve any deep choice or desire. Mundane behaviors, by definition, are simply an elaboration of the ego. We are creatures of habit. Of course, some deep intentions directed the formation of the ego, thus directs our daily life. However, the intention is generally hidden from the self and acts through the layers of ego and through chains of material causality. There is a comfortable distance between desire and its manifestation, so much so that we are generally unaware of why we do the things we do. In contrast, when one energetically intends, the desire immediately becomes action. It is unnerving and otherworldly because such immediacy and power demands the total presence of consciousness. As the converse of mundane desire, knowledge of the motivation is essential to intention. We are so used to our daily physical world that even if we do not know why we act, we know how to act. Going back to the image, this image associated with the page is called a dream of sacrifice. The image uh, is of a an altar, a gray altar standing above a verdant green landscape that is very abstracted with a blue sky. The altar has a sun 
with rays on it and two moons uh, in the corner, the smaller moons in the top left and right corner of the altar. The There is a figure, a human figure, lying upon the altar. This is me. Uh, this is a self-portrait, my blonde hair, red shirt, blue pants, um, and there is a creature. This is a creature that looks, has dragon talons, is sort of dog-like in nature, but has a human face and wings of an angel. There are uh, red, yellow, and green feathers coming off of the wings. And the wings itself um, truncate into a sort of point that uh, is holding up a heart. And this is my heart, which is connected with red tubes, both to my heart center and to my third eye center. So, a dream of sacrifice. And now back to the text. When one awakens to intention, one awakens to an immense and ever new world beyond comprehension. It is obvious that one will not know how to act. However, one does not need to know how to act. It is sufficient to be the motivation, to embody the desire, because it itself will find its elaboration in consciousness. Such talk of immediacy of desire and fulfillment, and such talk of immediacy of desire and fulfillment, would suggest that the dream world is an archaic realm of con, an, anarch, an anarchical realm of conflicting desires and fulfillment. The opposite is the case. The dream world has a logic, albeit different than the physical. I find that this logic is encountered in protocols that are inherent within the dream world. These protocols are rituals or conduits for motivation to elaborate itself in a desire action. For example, to return from the dream state, I must enter the cavern between my eyes. I must point out now that my encounters with these protocols invoke the premises of emergent phenomenon. I suspend any intellectual judgment. I do not assume that they are analogies to physical laws. I merely accept them as practical guidelines. Most of the time, I become aware of these protocols through an intuition. For example, if I am in a laying meditation and I desire to experience a vision that will become my next painting, I must follow a protocol. I must let the physical fall asleep and away, such that my sensations are so familiar that they are negligible. Second, I must activate the crown chakra and distinguish the internal and external circuit of energy. Third, I must activate the third eye chakra. Fourth, I must enter the theater behind the eyes and allow the hypnagogic and physical images to cascade. I allow the visions to emerge and dissolve giving myself no amount of control. I merely observe. Finally, I allow myself to pass through so many layers that I forget to be cognizant of time passing. I find myself in a subtle world beyond the senses. It has been beautiful, ethereal, and populated with beings both humane and foreign. My presence in that world endures until the incongruity of the plenum of ethereal sense with the lack of physical sense becomes so palpable that I must awake. Most recently, I followed this protocol and found myself in a sort of ocean floating or swimming with a jellyfish-like creature. The sensation was very much like floating in warm water. And I'll return to the image called Jellyfish in Water and the Light. 
There is purple. It is a field of indistinct purple and blues. There is light, yellow light coming in, and the, there's purple in the depths. There are these yellow jellyfish-like creatures that have tendrils and legs that sort of mix with the what what could be uh, illuminated shafts of light from the rippling waters above. So jellyfish in the water and the light, returning back now to the text. I didn't think to evaluate my perceptions and self-perceptions. I merely was there, being that, and doing it. The entire action and locale was outside of physical sensation, but is minimally communicable and memorable through sense language. I floated following this large creature to the surface and source. Light poured in, broken by waves, currents pulled, ineffable nuances of scent moving slowly towards the goal, patience of the eternals. I am a swimming one and a following one. It another, larger, light and shadows dance in the waves. Light shimmers, shines through the creatures and onto me. Resonance occurs, clear voice bell songs. Each individualization of fluid vector, a note, each with a harmony harmonizing. The notes become audible and I remember my physical ears and my body and I am once again in the cavern of mind. Each step was learned through a distinct meditation guided by the sole motivation to discover spiritual vistas to express in my art. At first, I did not assume a definite form to the energetic aspect of our individuality. However, the intuitions of these protocols have brought me back to the chakra system so many times that I all but take it for granted. I believe that this spiritual body is a universal experience. Since it is necessarily subjective in its totality, these accounts do not agree. One must find a unique elaboration within one's own experience. Gaining the knowledge of the protocol was a step-like process. In the physical world, when one determines to act, several events occur in the mind, then body, and then finally world. While there is no material causality in the dream world, there is a sort of causality. The spirit of an individual and its ability to act or intend is a function of consciousness and will. A spirit is weak when the individual identifies it with the ego. The spirit is strong when the individual identifies it as an elaboration, manifestation, or individualization of the primal spirit. The spirit is stronger when the individual removes the fetters of expectation, loosening the categories of perception. Then it is allowed to be what it already is. The spirit acts within a spiritual world. That is, the dreamer dreams a dream. That is, the individual consciousness experiences that which is conscious and that which it is conscious of. Each step of a protocol strengthens the spirit. That is to say, the realm of consciousness is expanded just as far as that step takes the dreamer. One must always travel away from the categorical perceptions of the senses to the ever-increasing freedom of expanding consciousness. So here is the image called Good Friday. It is a deeply purple and red image. There is an image of the Christ up on the cross, another crucified victim of the Roman Empire. There is the Roman legionnaire piercing his side. He is looking at you. 
On the right-hand side, there are is a group of women in blue robes mourning. The horizon is flat, and the landscape is rendered like an earthquake. There are beings coming up and out of graves. In the background, at the edge of horizon and sky, is something that looks like a ziggurat or a temple wall or some such thing, and. The entire sky is torn in two. The purple is goes into very strong boundaries, round boundaries of yellow and blue and yellow again. And within this are circular and overlapping circular imageries, and it appears to be looking like through bubbles or some such thing. One of the bubbles has a tree image with a red fruit coming out of it. So, Good Friday. And now back to the text. I have found it necessary or at least expedient to explicitly adopt two hypotheses, which I suspect to be a logical consequence of the first two premises. I'm more concerned with practice than logic. I will approach the first hypothesis in a roundabout manner. All that is, is the all. Everything is an elaboration of everything else. The self is an expression of the other. This is the one. In violent contrast, the ego presents itself as the one subject of the experience. The one becomes the many. Self divides from other. The void insulates egoistical experience. The ego is the foundation of reasoned knowledge. It is the architect of language. It is illusory self-sufficiency, self-consciousness. It commits blasphemy and claims the unity, the status of the one, the greatness of the all for itself. The one becomes many and the many becomes not. Something miraculous occurs. Some would claim it to be the Christ. The one stops traveling away from itself and begins to return. It emerges from the void. In other terms, the transcendental aesthetic of Kant is replaced by Einstein's relativity. The third premise is that the, con the cosmic foundation of all experience and existence is simply this dialectical process. It may be expressed as being into non-being, therefore becoming. This hypothesis is the ablest description I have found of my experience as an individual within the plenum. <clears throat> For example, I have found the being-non-being -being sublimation in every step of the protocols and any expansion of consciousness. In the experiential analogy, the present self-perception is equivalent to being, its apparent destruction to non-being, and the transformation of the self-identity to becoming. We emerge from novel experience as new creatures, unanticipated by the old. In my Early in my practices, I dreamed I awoke and did not awake. I sensed deep tension, deep urgency, the continuum of space-time as frothing with the unknown, interrupted by the ocean of the presence of being. I was disoriented by sensations, although I was in my bed. The froth dissolved my cat, who became many blobs of void. The particles of void attached to me and threatened to pull me downward, downward to darkness. Disconcerted, I tried to turn on the lamp, but the switch would not function. My fear increased as the waves of dark ether swayed and the void clung to me. I left my bed to cross the room and to turn on the light. The process was so arduous that I was crawling. The light did not turn on. 
My fear overwhelmed me, and I cried out for help and prayed to God. No one came. The fear increased. Eventually, I resigned to my condition merely through exhaustion. At that moment of resignation, I realized that I was out of my body, that consciousness was delocalized from it. I became aware of my body as a warm presence that envelops those cold and dark experiences. Once I was conscious of the body, as soon as I was, I entered into it. Once again, I woke in the cavern behind the eyes. Back to the image called a drawing of my great confusion. This is a line drawing of me crawling from bed this sort of spectral figure with eyes closed, but with third eye open, with these sorts of <clears throat> blobs weighing me down. There's a sense of definite rhythm in terms of the vibratory quality of the air. Um, I, my body there is depicted as lying on bed. There are waves going into the third eye and heart. My cat is there with purring waves around it. And then there is a picture or a um, window that looks out to a boat that is on a an ocean. And again, the waves are represented as sort of rhythmic lines, a drawing of my great confusion. Returning now back to the text. Several weeks later, I enjoy, I had another dream in which I was able to recognize the disconnected state, enjoy and encounter the experience. I suspect that the fear of death or dissolution always precedes an expansion of consciousness. The old self must die in order for the new to exist. It is naturally the cosmic act of enduring creation iterated in the individual spirit. The cosmic process also implies a directionality of individual motion. Either the individual is headed toward void or toward the all. This is a fundamental decision that everyone must make or ignore. One cannot intend motion towards the void. One need only follow the egoistic inclinations. This is the greatest irony of our evolved structure. One must intend towards the all. In fact, this is the sole motivation or underlying foundation of any intention. The cosmos consists in the indefinitely complex set of relations between all individual vectors, either toward or away from the source. We begin our experience in this cosmos as individuals severed from the one. We are one among the many. Either we remain as we are and we become void where we confront the void and become more than we are, willing the very unity of the cosmos, intending the sublimation of everything. Let me share an example of this sort of intention and sublimation from my own practices. Generally, my intention in any meditation or dreaming is non-specific exploration of the spiritual world that I might use to inform my composition, my art, my life. I have chosen to act in the role of an artist as defined in Kandinsky's writings. I must strive to illustrate the spiritual progression in myself as an exemplar of humanity for those that follow me. The goal is a being and a doing rather than an accomplishing. As such, my intentions do not necessitate control or even daily consciousness of the dream work. I have intended it to take place, and it does take place, but on a subtle level though not a directly conscious one. 
Very recently, a new direction came to me. I was contemplating the state of our society of wars, deprivations, ignorance, injustice, and our disharmony with nature. I thought that the source of all these problems stem from the nature of our individual physical existence. We are the many, and we must be baptized in death before we return to the one. Then I thought that we are more than physical bodies that our status as cosmically isolated individuals is solely a consequence of our identification with the physical body. We believe that we are this body, which needs ever more of the conserved quantities of matter, and thus we commit evil against one another and against the natural balances. Going to the image associated with this page is Easter. This shows the story of the Christ and resurrection. In the, <clears throat> there's a cavern on the left. Uh, there is a body clothed in red with the wounds of the Christ. So that body is there. Um, and all the other figures here are dressed in white with purple sashes like the resurrected Christ. They all hold the wounds of stigmata. So the, there is clearly who is uh, Mary looking in Jesus in the form and costume of Jesus. There's Jesus revealing his wounds to a Thomas who is in the form of Christ. There are the two disciples, again, in the form of Christ. There is a vesica Pisces in this sort of bubble-like experience coming from the clouds, and there is Christ. There is the tree that is reminiscent of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And at the bottom right, there is a fire with the the ichthus, the the fish symbol, um, and in the left by the cavern, the legionnaire spear and helmet is set aside. Within the cavern itself, within the cave of the the tomb of Christ, is a butterfly figure that um, has colors reminiscent of these circles in the sky and the heavens. The butterfly has three faces. And the butterfly itself, as well, holds the stigmata uh, at the side and also the crown of thorns stigmata. So, so that is Easter. Now coming back to the text. Of course, our beliefs, myths, philosophies may inform us of more than the physical, but the mind may maintain many systems while the self does not change. I thought that if we as a society endeavor to identify ourselves with our energetic aspects, then our physical problems would be sublimated. Let us solve our energy crisis by training every citizen to be a conduit of the infinite energies of the cosmos and of consciousness. I figured that if every individual or at least a critical number of within our society could directly and consciously perceive the energetic aspects of the cosmos, then our collective identification and educations would shift from the cancerous physical into the holistic spiritual. Thus my intention shifted or expanded. I intended to directly and consciously perceive the energetic aspects of the cosmos for the stated reasons. The first time I performed a meditation with this intention, I transcended the egoistical persona. I went to a level beyond where the personality associated with the body could go. It is very difficult to convey the experience, but let me suggest a practice. Look at yourself in the mirror in dim light, with eyes unfocused. Look until you feel your stillness at the same time as your pulse beat. 
Feel and watch the harmonies of stillness and motion. Then look at the face as a mask of your ego. Let your identification dissolve as you contemplate its obvious physicality. This experience for me has been very unnerving, but very helpful. It is analogous to that first meditation. I was unnerved as well because I had always identified myself with my personality. That that identity must die and the individual sublimates. The second meditation produced the transcendence of space. In the dreams that I have left my body, I have always had a subtle awareness of my connection to the body and even its spatial position and orientation. In this meditation, the category of space dissolved and I was a point or the entire spatial manifold or beyond or beneath or all. I continued until the body prompted me to check on it and I became unnerved because I lost memory of where I was and lost my sense of orientation. Here is the image associated with that page. This is called the double. The, there are two figures. One is, is mostly facing the viewer. One is in profile to the viewer and is facing the figure towards the left. These look very, very similar. Both, hand, both have one hand up and are pointing toward one another. In between the two figures is a tree and at the side of the imagery, Um, Next to each of the figures is another tree that sort of blend together to form a canopy, a forest canopy. So this is called the double. And now back to the text. The third meditation produced a transcendence of time, and I awoke only when the body could not reckon if it was day or night. Each step was an iteration of the cosmic process. Before the fourth meditation, I noticed a sort of completeness in the last three. Ego, space, and time were cornerstones of reason, of reason and physical matter. I suspected that the fourth meditation would yield a conscious perception of the energetic aspect of the cosmos. It did not. Rather, in that state, I encountered a, an arena of a fundamental decision, a polarity, a switch, a binary, either the all or none. Either I further elaborate the cosmic process in striving for the unification of the many with the one, or I strive for the disillusion of the one into the many. I now believe that the fourth transcendence was that of will or decision. Each individual act of will is a unique elaboration of a fundamental act of will. In most instances, will is mixed with or tinted by physical or spiritual circumstance. Consequently, most acts acts of will are made in part by the machinations of ego and matter. The fourth meditation transcended the various circumstances. I encountered my free will in its true form as a polarity of being and vector of self. Although I had consciously decided to work in imitation of the Christ prior to that meditation, I did not commit the decision in its pure form. I knew I decided to will toward the all in the past and that I would in the future, but I could not intend that decision then. The purity of the polarity and the rawness of invitation to will were so great that I became unnerved and the meditation ended. I tried to invoke that arena again, but I could not reach it. Instead, I was given this work of writing. My intention to sublimate the appearance of the many brought me to an individual decision. I went outside of the isolated self and I encountered the fundamental act of will as an individual. 
It is a mystery to me that I maintained my individuality outside of persona, space, and time, hence outside of reason and our daily world. I assume that the vector is the essence of individuality. Now the second hypothesis. I suspect that the cosmic dialectical process continues indefinitely, infinitely, which yields a plenum of immense complexity. Being encompasses the all, being the one, yet I am an individual in relation to the micro and macrocosms of entities that surround me. Therefore, I assume that the process is iterated through all levels of existence, yielding individuals that seek the many and individuals that seek the one. In practice, this complexity suggests that our world is not the only is not the only one accessible to experience and that physical creatures are not the only ones that we may encounter. Wherever individuals may exist in the cosmic scheme and wherever relations between individuals may occur, they will always exist and occur. Back to the um, drawing associated with this page. This is called the diagram. This is a square image of nine inch by nine inch. And it is marked by uh, geometric figures. There is uh, diagonal lines between the corners to demarcate the center. Out of the center, we see two circles drawn. This is in the form of the vesica Pisces. Then there are a few intersections between the top and between the top point of the uh, vesica Pisces, that inner. Uh, oval experience and the size of it, and uh, there are lines crossing between the two. Um, there is a great symmetry in the image except for the top and bottom symmetry. There is a red line, red lines that cross and form a diagonal triangular experience that, that really are uh, expressive of um, asymmetry between the up and the down. Back to the text. The final hypothesis is difficult to comprehend, but it is pivotal in investigating the reality of dreaming. It is important for the investigation because it allows the mind to allow the otherworldly and bizarre occurrences within dreaming to have reality or cosmic significance. Adopting this hypothesis allows reason and expectation to melt enough that true experience may occur. Although the first premise should be sufficient to experience any aspect of dreaming, the final hypothesis aids in the reintegration of the dreaming memories with the daily consciousness. Complexity arises just as a formula is reiterated on a set to form a fractal image. The cosmic process of individuation, sublimation, and integration is a simple formula. The initial set is the one. Iteration yields galaxies, stars, and planets. Reiteration yields plant, animal, sentient life. Further reiteration yields spirituality in all its various manifestations. The one is in eternity. Reiteration occurs indefinitely and atemporally. Incredible structures form. Contemplate the simplicity of a single iteration of the phi sequence upon the one. Individuation occurs infinitely since the many have passed through the void. We are the bride of Christ. Therefore, there is an infinite set of individuals upon which the cosmic process is reiterated until the all is achieved. 
Our experience in the physical world reveals the results of the iterative motion. We do exist in a material plenum. There is no true or absolute void. Yet there are different phases of matter. No two individuals are the same. Such a wealth of existential texture. The process and the formula underneath the iteration is infinitely elaborated in the iterations. Consider the diagram. It represents a single, a simple individual's individuation and reintegration motion. It is the branching pattern reflected upon itself with a single complication. If we consider that the nexus is the void, we may assume that all the we may assume that the individual has lost its identity with the past. That is, it may integrate with any or all individuals as it emerges from the void. The path the one takes to find itself in the all are many times more than those the one takes to become the many. The cosmos is like the image. One need only to infinitely continue the branching pattern and to iterate the process at every node in order to map the cosmos. <clears throat> Here is now an image called Kali. It is uh, an image of a blue-skinned woman wearing a greenish robe. The hair is long and straight and black, and behind her is a halo of yellow. So that is Kali. Now coming back to the text. The reason that such complexity lends so much credibility or validity to dream experiences is that it reveals our physical experience to be merely one of many modes of the same at the same time as revealing the cosmos to be composed of various individuals in various relations to one another. Let me share an example from my own dreaming. I dreamt that I was observing the filming of a TV dance competition. The contestants were being interviewed and were relating their dancing experiences and credentials. Each contestant was more impressive than the last. However, three quarters of the way through the dozen, a female contestant began relating the cred credentials of a male relative. His were the best by far. The judge, however, stopped her speaking and asked her about her own credentials. She continued to speak of her relations, then looked at me and conveyed that she was the best dancer and needed no credentials. The judge began to ridicule her. Everyone joined in. I felt her indignity. She looked at me once more with a look that asked for my help. I was the only one who could save her and help her dance. I made some sort of motion and realized that I was merely the camera. I could not help her. Our gaze continued and grew stronger, as did her ridicule and indignity. Eventually, I noticed that her skin was blue and that she was a deity. The realization was so unnerving that I woke up. Later, I identified her as a form of the goddess Kali. Did a Hindu goddess truly need the help of a Western mortal? If so, that would imply many counterintuitive inferences about the world. Was it just the action of my brain rebalancing or my mind providing psychological release? Was it just a dream? If so, I would have to ignore the vital intuition that in some way and for some reason, I must help Kali dance. The structural complexity of the cosmos helps me to find a middle way of explanation. I say that this dream is an emergent phenomenon. 
I and Kali are individuals within the cosmos. I span the physical, the psychological, and the spiritual. She may span the spiritual and the psychological, even as an archetype. Our relation is one of many, yet it must exhibit the fundamental vector. Either it is a constructive relation whereby we sublimate our individuality in pursuit of the one, or it is a relation created merely through the disillusion of the one as haphazardly generated relation that leads towards the void. It is up to both parties to determine the direction of any relationship. Here is now an image called Kali dances while I as an insect birth the world. So here is Kali in blue skin. She is only wearing a dress. Her long black hair covers her breasts and she is dancing. There are tall plants that look somewhat like bamboo. Um, the image here is set. The foreground is a um, waterscape uh, and it's sort of like a stream. There is a blue sky above. There is the major form of this figure is an insect. It is, has a blue um, shell with a yellow under under yellow belly and it is perched on a plant that a plant branch that is in the water the insect is giving birth is is pushing out eggs that are spherical and are floating in the water and the most shocking thing about this image is that the the insect's face is uh in a shape of a humanoid face and has a eyes and mouth but these are formed by uh a self-portrait image of myself in the red shirt and the blue pants. Um, and I form the eyes by making my arms sort of curl up to my armpits, my hands curl up to my armpits, and my feet are together form in the space between my arms and my torso are the eyes, and the space between my legs is the mouth of this image. And my head stands in the third eye of this creature, this insect creature that is birthing the worlds. So this is Kali dances while I as an insect birth the worlds. Back to the text. Personally, I believe that she is intending the reintegration of the many with the one, that she is a fundamentally constructive force despite her destructive appearance. I suspect that she embodies the death aspect of the sublimation process. If we both have the same directionality, then it is my duty as an individual to help her. The only thing, the most that I can do, is to intend to help her. That is sufficient for us and for the cosmos. Thus, by assuming that the cosmos has an intuitive yet beyond comprehension complexity of structure, one may avoid making polar judgments regarding experience and may fulfill one's duty to the cosmic process by revering whatever relationship one is in. We may look at a fractal image. We may understand its formula and the iterative process, but we cannot comprehend its infinitude. We may have knowledge of its self-similarity at all levels, but we cannot hold it all in mind. Existence as an individual in a plenum of individuals is a more difficult situation. Thus, when individuals and relations emerge as phenomenon, it is impossible to pass categorical judgment on them because of the scope of the cosmos and its many levels. However, it is possible to discern their vector. Consciousness is such that 
the directionality of any individual is immediately perceptible, provided that the perceiver does not limit experience to the five senses. Another example may illustrate the complexity of structure. I dreamed this dream years before I started my project. I dreamed I began to travel to other dream worlds. I began in one dream. I would look down at my watch and then be transported to another dream. This occurred many times, even though each dream was full of occurrences, interaction, and history. In one transition, the hands of my watch levitated, and I found myself between moments in a place outside of space. I used to describe it as a multidimensional linearity. There were strands of moving color all around me, and I would intersect. they would intersect and form a nexus. Some nexuses were like windows to a familiar world, like moving paintings. Some were stranger than I could imagine. The experience was immense the linearity infinitely extending. I must have been unnerved because two vaporous beings surrounded me. I was calmed and they emanated knowledge. They explained that I was beneath the foundations of space and time, that each nexus was a point of space-time, and that I passed through this realm when I passed from dream world to dream world and from moment to moment. They told me that I was not ready to be there, that I could and would return only when I was ready, and they, and then they guided me to a moment. I passed through that nexus into the dream world. So back to the image here. This says, beneath the foundations of space and time. Again, it has this sort of tarot card composition with a low horizon line out of which fi figures stand. There are these two figures that are clothed in sort of skin-tight gray cloth. The skin tones of these figures are this orange sort of color. Their faces are indistinct, only implying a face. Between them is this sort of placental kind of uh, circularity portal experience. And then there is actually a cup in the shape of an hourglass out of which I'm, I am standing with the red shirt and, and the faces. The background has a sort of double helix sort of spiral quality. There are senses of um, cells, of eggs, of um, phalluses, and of other things. There are water waves um, in, the, in the, the bottom of this image. And at the top of the image, between the two vaporous beings, there is an, an immense eye that sees all these things. So that is beneath the foundations of space and time. Back to the text. The physicality and the familiarity of the world was stunning. I was on a beach surrounded by forests and dotted with small villages. I started to act according to an unknown intuition. I waded into the water. I waded far from shore. I recalled that I was meeting a flock of manta ray-like creatures. They were poisonous and I would die. I looked down at my watch, passed through a moment, and awoke behind my eyes. Are dreams real? Do they have significance as events in the cosmos beyond the individual, as events that may not be subject to personal interpretation and may be dealt with at face value? I know that I have not yet offered a single piece of objective evidence. In its place, I invite the reader to adopt the premises and hypotheses and see if the dreams themselves provide the requested evidence. 
I believe that if anyone suspends the polarity of their categorical judgments regarding dreams, and if one desires or intends to explore them, then they will discover a realm just as vital, beautiful, and as challenging as the physical. Finally, I believe that all available modes of being must and will be engaged in the attainment of the one. Thus, it is our duty as beings to explore them. Let me share one final example, which I'll briefly, which I briefly mentioned before. This dream occurred several weeks before my fearful dream. After that, I resolved to enjoy, explore, and appreciate the out-of-body state should it ever occur again. In this example, I found myself trapped and paralyzed. I was lying in the corpse posture. A woman, a woman brought a television screen near me. She projected my image on it. I felt divided. I became aware of a third division, somewhat vaporous and floating. My fear grew until I became resigned to the division and paralysis. Immediately after the resignation, I intuited that I must collect all those bodies or aspects in one in order to move again. With a faculty I did not know I had, I collected the divisions as a hand collects jacks when the ball bounces. Immediately I was out of body in point awareness and free motion. The physical world became transfigured. The space between atoms and moments was filled with electrical, magnetic point sensation, unbearable, exhilarating, filled with true knowledge, the moving eidos, beautiful, the everything and nothing. The collection, which was me, floated in this froth and it permeated our being. Pure joy encompassed pure terror. We floated or rode the electric motion upward. And here is uh, an image called the penultimate moment. This is the image of uh, me standing in water with a, a beach. And there's a hut at the beach. There's plants that seem cultivated around that hut. And then a sort of jungle forest. There are clouds in the background. I'm holding uh, in my left hand a mirror that mirrors uh, another being with dark hair as opposed to blonde hair with a purple purple cloak purple clothes as opposed to the red one i'm wearing in my right hand is a is the watch that is floating so that is uh, the painting a penultimate moment back to the text the vaporous aspect became overwhelmingly overwhelmed with curiosity about the paralyzed body. It turned to look back, but could not see it. At that moment, we separated, like two husks on an ear of corn. I felt it continue to ride that energy foam, in fact, to soar within it, far from the physical room, far from the physical permeating all and being permeated by it. I separated and awoke behind my eyes. As I was writing down my account, my mother called to inform me that my grandfather had just passed away. And now the image called Transfiguration. This is a very energetic image. There is a cross between the corners, uh, like line diagonal lines drawn. The, this forms a yellow and a red X that centers on a black figure, a dark figure that seems to be in a sort of yoga nidra, sort of shavasana corpse posture with hands in mudra, the feet together. 
The only light on this figure is the forehead, the third eye, which is bright. There are angelic beings that have many faces, wings that are floating there. Um, there is an X of blue energy coming out of the throat chakra. There's white and black energy experiences. And uh, at the horizon line, there are a few objects. And so this is, there's a hut to the left of the black figure, a hut to the right, and there's uh, being a white being in uh, meditation posture surrounded by crows, which uh, are which have in front of them a broken piece of bread, broken loaf of bread. And then on the right-hand side, uh, in front of the right-hand hut, is a, is a white figure that is holding a staff and walking away. And in front of that, there seems to be two stone tablets that are broken and lying there. Back to the text. Sometimes a dream is just a dream. Sometimes it is more. What do we mean that it is just a dream? How do we tell the difference? A brief glance at the theories of dreams will reveal a hierarchical progression. Dreams are merely somatic responses. Dreams provide brain stimulation. Dreams vent repressed desires. Dreams bring the individual in contact with the archetypes. Dreams are gateways to mystical sources. Most, if not all, theories explain dreaming in terms of the waking state. The lower theories completely view dreaming as a function subservient to the health of the ego. Many of the higher theories regard dreamings as a means to become a fully engaged individual. Through dreaming, one may confront the shadow self, work with the preconscious and the superconscious. One will never find the true purpose of dreaming in any theory. Theories are tools of reason which is the foundation and agent of the waking state. They are built with memory and repeated phenomena. It is through theory that we develop our expectations of experience and through that expectation that our theories are reinforced. One must find the purpose of dreaming in the experience of dreaming, in the mystical beyond, in the witness of emergent phenomenon. Dreams dream... Dream dreams until the hierarchy of theory is exhausted. The theories will explain, predict, and guide, but there is always the lingering beyond. Follow the beyond and leave knowledge in your path. Then you will know if a dream is just a dream or if it is something more. Suspend categorical judgment of experience. Most either-or propositions are deceptions. Have courage and step outside of expectation. The mundane is transfigured into the divine. True and emergent experience is the gift of God. It is God and we are it. Egoistic constraint of experience will always return, but it is our choice to be trapped by it or to be free. Time passed, but we are eternal beings. Once our categorical judgments are suspended, I believe that two conclusions may arise from the resultant experience. First, dreaming is an end in itself insofar as the waking is an end in itself. Second, dreaming will yield transpersonal and universal subjective experience. This type of experience is the only criteria for objectivity that is not intimate with the categorical experience of space and time. Thus, by asking and by releasing our initial question, we sublimate its necessity. 
The image here is called a divine a divination regarding our relation to Eden, and it is uh, it is focused on three figures um, that are located in this scene. The scene is dominated by a church-like building with uh, doors that are open but yield a deep darkness. The sky is a purple purple, dark purple, and it has circles, these circles of color. Um, the ground is a, a kind of a deep green, and on the right side there is a tree growing up um, with a red circle, circular fruit, and that is similar to all the circles that are happening in the sky, so on. And in the top left there is this red and blue and red again, circular object um one of the figures the humanoid figures that seems to be sort of this uh abstraction of the human form reaches out and measures the distance with a compass between the edge of the composition and the church that's sitting on the horizon beneath this is a figure that is in meditation and it holds uh a bucket in one hand and a, a shovel in the other and has dug a little hole and you can see some some blue which represents appears water um, the figure on the right is standing and on tiptoes reaching up towards that red fruit that that is growing out of the tree it holds in its hand uh, a drawing and the drawing it has a kind of quadrant quality to it it's yellow and purple yellow and purple for each quadrant and there's a circle that alternates those colors so within the yellow square is the purple circle in the center of all of these things is the um is a red and blue circle a kind of a cross type uh diagram from the door of the church uh, are books that kind of are like, they look like Bibles. There's a cross on them, and they form kind of stepping stones into that. So this is called a divination regarding our relation to Eden. <clears throat> and that is the end of the text. So I thank you for being here and opening to your own experience of dreaming. I hope that by listening to this and by what, looking at these images and exploring that, you become inspired to explore dreaming within your own experience. I hope that you have really internalized the theme that it is all about experience. It is all about your relation to source consciousness and about how you choose to relate to source consciousness in a way that is coherent with other individuals, in a way that supports our unity within consciousness within this universal space of dreaming. Or you have the option to orient yourself to disillusionment into the many and therefore into the void. So this might be even seen as the choice between service to self and service to others. I hope that you would see the unity of all things and seeing that service to others is actually service to self and understanding that we are all something like a dream in the mind of God. I hope that you find that identity there. And if you don't find it, if this concepts or anything like that are strange to you, I invite you to actually just open up 
to experience of dreams, to intend to have a dream that is meaningful, healing, and transformative to you so that you may embody greater peace, love, and unity consciousness to be a benefit to yourself and those around you. Thank you for going on your journey of dreams, and I I hope that you dream well.